Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Hi everyone, my name is Rich and I'm really pleased to be leading us through another moment where we explore the answer to the question, who are we? as the church. We've been doing this all summer, looking at a series of metaphors or word pictures that the New Testament gives to help explain to us in lots of different ways what the church is really all about. And so far this summer, we have seen that we are salt, we are light, we are yeast, we are a body, we are foreigners. And today's metaphor is that we are an army. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to get you to press pause. I'm going to throw you the ball and you're going to catch it and pass it around in your gatherings. And I want you to discuss two questions. Firstly, what are the reasons for caution with this metaphor? And secondly, what are the positive lessons for us within this metaphor? So get thinking. But before we get there, I need to be up front with you and I need to make a confession. Otherwise, someone will point this fact out to me in a text message after you've watched the video, which is that the statement the church is an army is not found anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament does it directly state that the church is an army. And so if you look up that quote, you won't find it. Trust me, I tried. However, I am confident that in a few minutes I can teach slash persuade slash convince you that though the New Testament doesn't state it, it very much is deliberately and consciously teaching this truth throughout uh, multiple places uh, in the New Testament. And that if we believe the verses I'm about to show you, we will be left with the inescapable conclusion that yes, the New Testament church and therefore our church is an army. And once we've been persuaded of that, we'll have to get on with obeying this metaphor instead of trying to explain it away by nitpicking. So here's my evidence to try and persuade you of this. Exhibit A, to be a Christian, according to the Bible, is to be in a fight. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. And then writing to Timothy again later in his life, just before Paul dies, he looks back at how he's lived and he says this, I have fought the good fight. Exhibit A, the Christian life is a fight. Exhibit B, it's a fight against an enemy. 1 Timothy 5.14 talks about the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about your adversary. So it doesn't say we're an army, but it does say that we are fighting against an enemy. Exhibit C, let's keep building the case. Individual Christians are told to be like soldiers. Okay, Paul encourages Timothy to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's fine for us as individuals, but it still never uses the kind of collective idea of an army, which is true, except in Exhibit D, also known as Philippians 2.25, where Paul calls a friend of his from another city who also follows Jesus. His name's Epaphroditus. And he calls him his fellow soldier. So the idea is that he's a soldier, but that he has fellow soldiers working together. So it doesn't say we're an army, 
but it says we're in a fight with an enemy as soldiers alongside fellow soldiers. Two more bits of evidence. Exhibit E, we are advancing on a mission. Famously in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says of his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I've always incorrectly pictured this as the church trying its best to survive, but that hell is throwing everything at the church and trying to overpower it and destroy it. But that isn't what that verse says. It's just the wrong way round image to understand it like that. Now, the verse says that the gates of hell, think about gates. Gates are big, defensive, static, stationary structures. And it says that the gates of hell will not prevail, will not stand against the church. It's the church that is advancing, that is seeking to overwhelm and throw everything at the powers of hell. And Jesus promises that he will build his church and that the church will triumph and win and will accomplish that advancing mission. Lastly, exhibit F, we know that we are to put on armour as the people of God. To the Ephesian church, a passage that we'll return to in the autumn when we're back at King Ed's, uh, Paul commands the church to collectively put on their collective armour, their helmet, their breastplate, their belt, their shoes, to pick up their shield and their sword. And so putting all of this together, the New Testament doesn't have a direct quote that says that we're an army, but it absolutely teaches this all the way through. And if you don't like the word army, for many reasons that I could understand, then you can call this talk not we are an army, but we are armour-wearing soldiers fighting as we advance on a mission against the enemy, okay? It's not as snappy, but permission granted. Now, I've got more to say, and I want to draw out three particular implications of this metaphor for us. But for now, I want you to pause, breathe, and chat about it. Those two questions will come up on the screen. Press play when you're ready to carry on. Okay, welcome back. Thank you for chatting. I'm sure that you've drawn out a few reasons why we just need to be a little careful with the language of churches and army. And the big one for me that I just want to be super clear about is that we are not fighting against people, okay? When it comes to human beings who don't like us or don't agree with us or refuse to worship the same God as us, and even who give us a phenomenally hard time, even who threaten us, even who torture us, even who try and kill us, the model of the New Testament is we don't fight those people. Let me show you a few verses that might help you uh, believe that that's what the Bible teaches, but also help you to be equipped if someone ever challenges you on that point, perhaps in the workplace or at school. Here are a few prompts that you can call to mind to help you explain that the Christian battle imagery is not about fighting other people. Think of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's famous phrase, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Think of Jesus's own example. He's about to be arrested and killed unjustly and Peter gets out his knife to slash the ear off the person who's arresting Jesus and Peter is told off by Jesus. He's rebuked by Jesus and Jesus says put away your sword. 
And then think about Jesus dying on the cross and he's got a chance to shout and rage against those killing him. And he instead prays for them. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Paul really clearly states in Ephesians that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, other people. And so we're an army, but we're not an army that's against other people. And while I think it's definitely possible for followers of Jesus to have different viewpoints about the role of, say, the armed forces of a nation state or the police or others who are using force on behalf of the state, uh, I think there's a whole range of opinions you can have on that. And just to say, I have in the last five years been entrenched deeply in the clearly right view on that, then have moved drastically to the opposite view and been very confident about that. And most recently have come back to an, this, this position and I'm pretty confident that that's right. But when I read something new, maybe I'll jump again. And so there are lots of different opinions on that. And it's a really complicated issue. Hopefully I'm modelling that you can have different views, even within your own self. But there is something that we need to be completely clear on before I unpack the force of this metaphor. And that's that when it comes to advancing our faith in Jesus and our beliefs about Jesus, there is absolutely never any justification for doing that violently. That is not something that we are free to disagree about. And so when someone argues against your faith in Jesus by calling to mind the Crusades or the atrocities done around the world in the name of the Christian gospel or the ugliness of Christian cross-carrying nationalists storming the US Capitol in the name of Jesus, we shouldn't feel that we've got to defend that stuff. We should accept that that stuff is anti-Jesus and anti-Christian and we should lament the ugliness of that alongside those who are critiquing the faith because of it. Okay, caution is required. But all that being said, we urgently do need to embrace this aspect of who we are as the church. And we need to hear the call to rise up and to fight the good fight together as an army of Jesus Christ. I want to draw out three positive lessons for us from this metaphor before we're done. Firstly, the church should expect hardship. My mum-in-law says that life is all about expectations and my mum-in-law Diane is never wrong. In most of life, she says, it's not so much that the difficulties themselves push us to overwhelm, but rather that it's when our expectations were that things were going to be easy, simple, brilliant, beautiful, glorious, etc. And then reality hits. That's the crushing and paralysing feeling that we experience. It's about expectations. And that's why saying that following Jesus will be easy and fully heartwarming all the time is a total lie. It's actually really cruel to tell people because when the normal Christian life of days and weeks of walking forward in our faith, but not everything is exciting or easy happens, we can feel really unsettled or feel like we're doing it wrong. And we need to hear as the church that following Jesus together is going to be hard. 
It is hard. It was always hard. It was always going to be hard and it's going to stay really hard and it's going to never not be hard until Jesus returns and the battle is over and it will never be hard ever again. But for now, it's really hard. 1 Peter 5, 19, Peter says this exact thing to the Christians in Asia. He says, do not be surprised about the fiery trial that's coming on you as though something strange were happening. It's just to be expected because we're in a battle. Jesus says that same phrase, don't be surprised when the world hates you. It hated me first. And he says that right at the outset of being a disciple, you've got to realise that you've got to take up your cross to follow Jesus. That means that to follow him is like walking after him towards his execution. And so I say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we should expect hardship. Yes, hardship is difficult. Yes, hardship is sad. Yes, it's incredibly hard, but for the Christian, it should never be surprising because we're in a battle. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you, it's the greatest thing you can do is to give your life to Jesus, to come home to God, to be washed of your sins, to be forgiven, to have a new life, to be adopted into his family and to be who you were born to be. But as well as being the best thing ever, it's also the hardest thing ever. And no one's going to get it. And you're still going to have loads of suffering in your life, I promise you. And you're embracing a life of increased cost and hardship, which is ultimately fulfilling. When you lose your life, you find it, says Jesus. But it's absolutely brutal to be a Christian. But you have God and that makes the whole thing immeasurably worth it. But we're an army and there's a battle, and so it's really hard. Here's the second truth. The church should ruthlessly obey Jesus. In the army, there is a hierarchy. There's a chain of command, and in the army, your commanding officer is in authority over you. And so your role is to get on and do what you're there to do. And who are we as the church? We're an army. And so we as the church need to embrace our role as those who ruthlessly obey Jesus because he's our commanding officer. He doesn't obey us. We obey him. As Paul says to Timothy again, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And so I want us to reflect as an individual and as a church, as a group, are we pleasing our commanding officer, Jesus? Because it's possible that we could be those who are wearing the uniform, but are out in the name of the army, misrepresenting him by not living for him. And our commanding officer knows about that. And it's a substantial problem to him that we would live like that. Or maybe we can be a signed up member of the church, but instead of being on mission like he's commanded that we are, we can sort of kick around, hang back in the barracks, play Uno together uh, when there's a fight on and a mission to complete. We can sit back and we can enjoy the food in the, the dining room at the barracks and we can 
complain about the colour of the paint in the training room at the barracks or maybe the length of grass on the battlefield. It's not really my favourite length of grass, so I'm kind of not going to opt in really. It's not really my thing. When the whole point is that we're in a fight and advancing on a mission with commanding officer Jesus out in front saying, come follow me. And you say, what mission has he given us? Well, how about this as a summary? The great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love the Lord your God, love others as yourself. And the great commission, go and make disciples. And as a church, our job is to obey him because we're an army. And so we get on with obeying our commanding officer. Lastly, the church is a family, but it's not only a family. Most errors uh, I've come to see in the Christian life and in my own Christian life and in church history are not because we've made up some random new idea that no one's ever heard of. Rather, it's when we actually try and faithfully hold on to one bit of Scripture's teaching, but we so hone in on it that we ignore other aspects of the Bible's teaching that need to be held in tension with it. And so I think that when it comes to the church, one massive area that needs to be constantly recaptured and addressed and taught into and lived out is that the church is family. Okay, the idea of us not being an institution or a building or an event, but actually of a loving community and that the measure of a church is not how many Bible studies it does about loving one another, but whether it loves one another. And not how many sermons it listens to and how long they are about putting one another's needs before your own, but actually how we get on in doing that. And not knowing theologically that it's accurate to bear one another's burdens and care for one another like we're family, but actually to bear one another's burdens and care for one another like we're family, because we're a family. But that's where we need to hold all of the images of the Bible together, because what happens if you only focus on the church as family, then you forget that we're meant to be a family on a mission. And you forget that we're soldiers, that we're about something, that we're called to do something, not just be something, that we're called to make disciples. And that that family church that we all love to look at, and I am looking at so much at the moment in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, that love one another. You need to see that they actually spread out across the world, multiplying, ruthlessly obeying Jesus. And they pray and they serve and they preach the gospel and they heal the sick and they push on and they advance and the gates of hell can't prevail. And they get on with doing the stuff because they are a family, but they're not only a family they're an army too. And it's an error to only focus on one of those. It's also an error to only focus on army and to forget that as we do the stuff, we're meant to love one another. Both are errors. We need both. Now I'm done. And my prayer is that we would go now as the family and ruthlessly obey our commanding officer and take up our cross and follow him. And you can chat and pray about that if you want to. But first, there are some hosty bits. So I'll hand back to the host and then a slide will come up at the end to prompt you. Thanks for listening.